This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This podcast is sponsored by Monarch Money. Are you saving to reach your financial goals? Reaching those goals isn't just about getting more money, but by managing what you have. And the best way to manage your money? Monarch Money. Monarch Money is a new kind of finance app that's intuitive, powerful, ad-free, and takes the headaches out of budgeting. Try it free when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. Monarch puts all your accounts, investments, transactions, and finances at your fingertips. With a complete view of your finances, you'll gain insights on your spending and find new ways to save. Plus, Monarch lets you customize your dashboard, collaborate with your partner, set custom budgets and goals, and track your progress toward them. See why Mint users are turning to Monarch Money and loving it, and why the Wall Street Journal named Monarch Money the best budgeting app overall. Get a 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H money.com slash podcast for your free trial. monarchmoney.com slash podcast. This just in. Breaking news from Stacking Benjamins. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and today we're celebrating Rid the World of Fad Diets and Gimmicks Day. In the spirit of the holiday, it's all serious here because we're sharing information about the law. The SECURE Act was passed last month, and on today's episode, we'll talk to a team of experts about what you need to know about this new legislation. Here from Fidelity Investments, we welcome Senior Vice President Amy Quain. And from TIAA, we welcome Chief Financial Planning Strategist Dan Cady. And rounding out our discussion, we welcome the retirement answer man himself, a guy who also shares a front row seat on all these changes, CFP Roger Whitney. Don't know about the SECURE Act? Don't worry. In our headline segment, we'll share all the details of this important legislation. And of course, we'll still save time for my amazing trivia and throw out the Haven Lifeline to a lucky listener. And now, two guys who could really use a diet, heck, even a fad diet, it's Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. I have been not as uh, diligent about my diet as I should be. I hope Jesse from MetPro is not listening, but holy cow, my weight is all over the place. I'm all trim, man. I don't know. Duck and S- Svelte. Kiss it. Svelte. That's a great I, word. Every day's, every day's arm day. So there's two ways to like look better. One is to really work on thinning out, and another one is to just make everything else bigger. 
so then the ratio looks better. So I'm just doing like shoulder and arm exercises in its entirety. Do you know how we had Tim Rodon last week talking about tribe of millionaires and who you surround yourself with? Sure. I surround myself with pasty out of shape people. I feel great. <laughs> Your relative comparisons make you feel fantastic. <laughs> it is fantastic. My my ego couldn't be better. Hey, no, no, check out this tan line. <laughs> hey, everybody. Welcome to Diets for the Win or Not podcast. I am Joe Salci. I average show money on Twitter. Across the card table from me, that voice you hear is the dulcet tones of the one and only other guy. $10 word. Yes. I'm full of $10, $10 words. I got like 10 hours of sleep last night. Speaking of 10, that was amazing. It was fantastic. It's unbelievable what a bottle of NyQuil will do. Don't do that at home, kids. He is he is definitely kidding. I'll tell you what is amazing is having a game night the night before and then staying up late with a podcast that didn't want to come together the night before that. So having like four hours of sleep in 48 hours, not all it's cracked up to be. But a diet OG is not the only way to get a better you in 2020. If you're somebody who invests in individual stocks, I think this one might be for you. Big thanks to Motley Fool for supporting Stacking Benjamins. Motley Fool's stock advisor provides two stock recommendations every month to kickstart your 2020 financial goals. Motley Fool's offering five of their favorite stock picks for free at fool.com forward slash SB. You know what I like about that? I don't just like the pick. I like the fact that they go through the why. I think for adults, the why is the important stuff. Second, big thanks to Student Loan Hero for supporting Stacking Benjamins. If you want to better you in 2020, maybe that means going back to school. And if that includes debt, you want to have a debt repayment strategy. Boy, we've seen that a lot, haven't we? So if you're going to refinance your existing student loans, Try to have a strategy ahead of time before you attend college, whatever it might be, head to studentloanhero.com. We got a big show today. Amy Quain from Fidelity, Dan Keaty from TIA, Roger Whitney, the retirement answer man OG. We got a packed house. Finally, you invited me to the party. <laughs> I finally did. You and I are going to go through how this thing works, the SECURE Act, new legislation we all need to know about. So, Let's uh, start off with our headlines so you and I can dive into how this works. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamins headlines. Our headline today, our only headline, different than normal, where we're going over 50 different things on your average show. We're going to cover one. You can get this headline nearly anywhere. We got it from Yahoo Finance. This is from Century Management. The SECURE Act has passed. What does it mean for your retirement? It begins in July 2019. The House passed a new bill titled the Setting Every Community Up for Retirement Enhancement Act or SECURE Act. The Senate approved the bill on December 19th, and it was signed into law on December 20th by President Donald Trump. This sweeping bill offers several adjustments to our current laws surrounding saving and preparing for retirement the SECURE Act is poised to provide more part-time workers with the opportunity to participate in an employer-sponsored 401k plan, adjust the age caps on traditional IRAs, and increase access to tax-advantaged retirement savings account. Below, we're outlining the most prominent changes since new act and how they may affect your retirement. We're going to get into these in detail with the roundtable discussion after this. Change number one. 
Minimum distribution for retirement accounts. Previously, when someone reached 70 and a half, they were required to begin withdrawing money from their retirement accounts. The SECURE Act has adjusted this minimum distribution age to 72. This allows your retirement accounts to mature for an additional year and a half, depending on how much you've accumulated in your account thus far. This additional 18 months could have a significant impact on your retirement savings. OG, oh, I think what this speaks to overall is just people are living longer. Some people don't need money as soon as they used to. So that should be good news for some savers. Yeah, I wonder if this was the reason. I haven't seen the chart yet. I wonder if this was the reason or is the reason that it was so utterly confusing and stupid. The fact that it was 70 and a half instead of 70 or 71. It, it's worse. And you know this. It's worse than 70 and a half. It's the April 1st following the year in which you turn 70 That's and a right. half. Right. <laughs> well, luckily it isn't anymore. Wait, what? Wait, wait. So when do I got to do this? So they just made it 72. So personally, I feel this is more window dressing. I don't know how you, how you uh, remember from your practice days, but it seems to me and I, don't, I have not done any statistics on this, we're probably 50-50. I bet of the people that are required to take distributions, half of them are doing it like, oh yeah, I got to do this thing, so I'll take it and just pay the taxes and put it in my brokerage account. I don't need the money. Do what I got to do. Right? I do my withdrawal like I'm supposed to. But then probably half are like, yeah, not only do I need that money, but I also need other money on yeah. top of that. So it's irrelevant. You know, so they're taking money out at 66 and 68 and, you know, 83 above that path that the government prescribes for you. But for those who are ahead of the curve, or I think folks that have different buckets, you know, we talk about how, you know, we're not going to know what the future holds in terms of tax law. So yeah, you should have some tax-free buckets and you should have some taxable buckets and some partially taxed buckets. Having the flexibility of another year and a half of deferral and another year and a half of the flexibility of going, well, I don't have to take it from here. I can take it from over here is going to help if you're fortunate to be in that situation. Change number two, penalty-free withdrawals for qualified births and adoptions. I thought this was really nice for a subset of people. Section 113 of the SECURE Act introduces a new exemption for those who seek early distributions. You may now withdraw from your retirement accounts penalty-free for qualified births or adoptions. New parents, whether through birth or adoption, are allowed to withdraw up to $5,000 from their IRA. In order to make a penalty-free withdrawal, new parents must do so within one year of the birth or adoption. Notably, the exception applies on an individual basis, meaning if both of a child's parents have available retirement assets, each can make a qualified birth or adoption distribution up to 5000 for each child born adopted. On one hand, I think this is fantastic. It'll help more people go through what normally OG is a very expensive process. On the other when you look at financial stability, if you're looking at adding a member to your family and you don't have the resources to do it without going into your IRA, I also worry about the financial stability you're going to have when you know, when diapers come into view and all the expenses that come with even public school, uh, just expense after expense after expense around having a child. Yeah, you're right about this. I think that for adoptions in particular, I know nothing about this but as i understand it, it you know that it is a significantly higher added burden than you know let's say the traditional way of having a kid yeah. uh, financially also emotionally frankly from what i gather but uh, it's nice to have this i think that for the vast majority of people this doesn't affect but for those who are you know that are fortunate enough to have large retirement plan balances 
and also want to use the money for uh, for adoptions and stuff, they can uh, they can use a little bit of it. But I'm with you. You you should probably plan this out just a skosh differently and try to try to pay for it out of pocket if if at all possible. I mean, it's it's best for high to moderate income earners that have sheltered away a lot of money more than they probably needed to, you know, they've maximized their retirement savings, but they haven't saved money outside. They want to adopt change. Number three required withdrawal timeline from inherited retirement accounts. You know, this is a big one. OG under the new act beneficiaries who've inherited a retirement account will be required to withdraw the amount in its entirety within 10 years of receiving the account. Previously, Inheritors were given the opportunity to draw the amount over their life expectancy. This is the stretch provision pretty much going bye-bye. And I know there's a lot of folks who had some commentary about this, how it only really benefited people who were financially sound. And I think that that's kind of true for like the first generation of inheritors. But I remember a client that we worked with, he had a kind of a long-running illness, but he left his retirement plan to his 13-year-old. And, uh, and it was a pretty large balance and it paid for all of his college, of course, and it paid for graduate school and all that sort of stuff. But the nice thing is, is that he's still able to benefit from that compounding you know, over his lifetime. You know, he can, he can see, and he's still got to pay taxes on it eventually. He's doing it over time. I think this is just kind of pulls forward that it makes it so that the government gets their money a little bit faster. That's how they figure these things out, right? They sure. give it and they take it away. <laughs> right. well, how do we get how do we get paid for this thing? So again, for a lot of people, this is going to uh, come home to roost, I think, a little bit faster. Change number five. Boy, this this one affects a lot of people. 401k eligibility for part-time workers. Before the Secure Act, employees were required to work a thousand hours plus for an employer in order to be eligible to participate in a 401k. Congress has recognized how important it is for all workers to participate in employer-provided retirement plans, so the SECURE Act includes additional provisions to help employers encourage their employees to increase contributions and to let some part-time employees participate when they were previously ineligible to do so. In order to be eligible, part-time employees will have to work 500-plus hours, so half as many as before per year for an employer, averages out to about 9.6 hours a week for the past three consecutive years. In addition, the employee must be 21 years of age or older by the end of those three years. So if you started at age 17 and worked 10 hours a week, you still got to wait another year. These changes, part-time workers apply to plan years beginning in 2021, but the SECURE Act doesn't require an employer to start counting 500-hour years for the purpose of the new rule until 2021 so they can put it off till about 2024 if an employer feels like they need more time. I do think with things changing over to a gig economy, OG, and more and more people out of college working three part-time jobs instead of just for one set employer, this is good news. Well, I think it's also good news in that some of the behind the scenes stuff is they eliminated some of the financial responsibility or ERISA responsibility for these smaller employers. You know, part of the issue was companies didn't want to band together because if somebody screwed it up, even if it wasn't you, then your entire plan went to crap. You know, they called these multi-employer plans and the IRS kind of really relaxed their guidelines on that. So it's going to allow smaller organizations to band together and then that's going to allow more part-time employees to be able to have access to uh, to workplace plans. 
There's a few more big ones. Tax credit for employers that automatically enroll workers into retirement plans, going to incentivize employers to make more people eligible because studies show, as we've reported over and over here, OG, that if somebody has a workplace retirement plan, they're much more likely to be okay for retirement than if they don't. So more incentives for employers for that. Uh, The biggie, though, employers can offer annuities and investment options within 401k plans more easily. That was easily, easily the most controversial part of, of this legislation. Well, sure, that's going to be the most controversial part because it's such an opportunity for people to get taken advantage of. You know, there's some some good things that come out of that in terms of being able to uh, have a guaranteed stream of income from your portfolio, you know, over a long period of time. But again, just the history tells us this is going to do more harm than good, probably. And and you look at how much money and energy one side of the uh, the equation put into passing this law. And you say, well, where did all the money come from? It all came from the insurance companies and all came from the uh, annuity carriers to put this in there. So they must think that it's going to be pretty profitable for them. I'm going to, I'm going to go back to the glasses half full. I know your glasses half empty on this. I think that for somebody without a lot of investment savvy, that's never going to do it. They're never going to listen to our show, but has the ability to at least do some basic, just flipping basic research, they can set themselves up an income stream that they can't outlive. Don't have to worry about asset allocation. Sure, the insurance company is going to get their part, but that person is going to then be on a stream of income. We have a family member that uh, this worked out really well for. Whenever, Whenever they knew I'm going to keep this gender neutral. <laughs> Whatever they knew that they had money available, they go spend it. So the powers that be, without getting too much into this, set it up in an annuity where it's just an income stream. And they can't go get the rest of the money. They can't do it. It just is a and, very- And you make sure that there's no J.G. Wentworth commercials in there, <laughs> yeah, <that's right. laughs> playing in there at their house. Oh, that would just completely suck. Do you have a structured settlement? Yeah. Are you getting annuity payment? Do you want your cash now? Would you like to ruin all that? So it can work really, really well. It can it can work super well. So for me, it's an exciting opportunity. And you're right. The insurance industry is going to have to continue to do some of the work that I saw last year when I went to MIT to look at them all in a oh room boy. fighting with each other. Well, they fought with each other, man. When I went to MIT last year, I don't know if you guys knew that. Did I tell you I went to uh, MIT? I uh, headed over to MIT. I only bring that up again because of the fact that a they know. I'm not the, sure if you guys know or not. They know the pressure. Shut up, because they know the problem, and you've got these people working on this because it is a huge longevity is a huge issue, and you need to have some of these smart minds working on it. So just to say that they're all bad actors and, and well, there's they're not. That's 100 percent true. And people on the show have never been like it's only this way. We talk about annuities and there's really good things from them. When we talk about whole life insurance, we talk about how there's really good things with whole life insurance. There's really bad things with term insurance. There's really good things with actively managed mutual funds. Oh my God, really? What? Did he say that? Did he say that out loud? But the reality is most of the time, most of the time, these tools are used incorrectly and they're used incorrectly because the incentive exist to be, to have them used be used incorrectly right i mean when you're looking at a broker who 
is sitting before a retiree and they have a hundred thousand dollars and they can say, I can charge you 1% on this and I'm going to get 250 bucks in three months from now. And I'm going to get another 250 bucks three months from after that. And then another 250 bucks three months after that. Or I can get $11,000 commission right now today, right now. I think that that but is that's primary. not, yes, that's not the product though. That is absolutely, but it kind of is the product because if all the product companies would say, we're not doing that garbage anymore, you can eliminate the temptation, right? Like there's a lot of people out there who shouldn't be having a beer every day. Some people know, Hey, I can't be trusted with that sort of stuff. So I'm not going to put myself in that situation. Those are some people. And then there's other people who are like, if the booze manufacturers went away, then there'd be a lot safer. You know what I mean? Personal responsibility. I get all that. But if the product providers would just say, we're not going to allow this, we're going to let our product, we think it's so good that we don't have to pay you 10% of the contract value and commission. I think it's so good. I can compete with a low cost passive approach of an investment portfolio with the kind of aforementioned, you know, 1% a year or something like that. And if companies did that, and the product was good, then we would see that those tools are being used correctly. And that's actually what's funny is that I think the vast majority of these companies do have those products that already exist that are out there, but they've had such a legacy of doing the wrong thing, OG, that, that, that they'd have to completely flip the sales process. It would have to be something something completely different than it is now. Therein lies the issue. That is the sales process. That is the issue. Why can't why can't the tools just be used correctly? Why do we have to have a sales process? Do, do we need a sales funnel? We need to get a sales funnel so that we can we can get our 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 you know anyway. So yeah, you can tell OG and I immediately go I, into I have more commentary on this, but maybe we'll just <laughs> we, hold on. I just had I'm like the uh, Kermit the Frog, you know, I'm just like, oh, okay. I'm just going to sit there with that meme and like drink my tea. And This is only the the the, the 65th uh, discussion that OG and I have had about this. And you can tell that uh, this doesn't rage just here on this show. It's all over the place. That That's definitely the hot topic of this legislation. Moving away from that to another area, which has been hotly contested and discussed, is the student loan crisis. And now student loans can be paid back partially using your 529 plan. So if you've been saving for... If you have a 529 and a student loan, you're doing it incorrectly. Well, what if you... (laughs) Good point. (laughs) I I didn't think through that. However... If you're somebody who maybe needs a better plan for college, check out our sponsor, Student Loan Hero. Student Loan Hero is the number one place to go if you're looking for help getting yourself through college. Before you just go out and take out all kinds of debt, head to studentloanhero.com. And what you'll find there is the best information about refinancing, lower payments, forgiveness, different student loan products, a whole suite of calculators, whether prepayment calculators, refinancing calculators, public service loan forgiveness calculators, income-based repayment uh, quizzes about how different laws work. It's all there at Student Loan Hero. If you're somebody looking at taking out or paying off Parent PLUS loans, if you're worried about default or delinquency on your loan, Student Loan Hero has it all. Head to studentloanhero.com for more. 
There are many more provisions. We'll see if we can get to some of those in the discussion that is coming up next. Super excited we were able to do this in a quick uh, timeline. Big thanks, by the way, to our producer, Taylor Stevens, for helping me get this done. We were able to say, you know what, OG? Call us crazy that you and I might not be the only two people that know something about the SECURE Act. There might be some other smart people that can help us with this. So on my dad's shortwave, We're going to talk to Amy Quain, who's a vice president in financial planning for a little company called Fidelity Investments. Not sure if you've heard of them, OG. Uh, Small firm out of, uh, I don't know, the Northeast somewhere, I think. (laughs) And then a nonprofit firm started by Andrew Carnegie, uh, some crazy man named Andrew Carnegie, works with a lot of smart people, TIAA, Dan Keedy, uh, chief financial planning strategist for TIAA. He's going to be on the shortwave as well. How about that? Okay. And the retirement answer man himself, OG and my friend Roger Whitney, going to join the discussion. Talked to Roger the other day. Such a nice guy. Yeah, you know he's all right. We'll get we'll, <laughs> now that you've had OG and my take. Let's talk to these very smart people about what you need to know about the Secure Act right now. And now that we've had some time to go over the basics of the SECURE Act, let's see how you can use it in your planning. I'm super excited today that we have a crack panel with us, either in the basement or on my dad's shortwave. Let's start here with a guy coming down the stairs right now. You've heard him a lot before here on the Stacky Benjamin Show. Roger Whitney, the retirement answer man, joins us. How are you, man? Hey, buddy. You really cleaned up the place. You're growing up. I'm just so proud of you. (laughs) Our boy's growing up. Well, you know, we've got a heck of a panel with us today, Roger. It's not just you and me and OG today. We've got some real experts with us. We have some real pros that study this stuff, and it's good to have the academic. I I can think of them as the academic side of things, right? (laughs) Because they're the ones that are, are studying and disseminating their wisdom. Whereas me, I'm just the little schmo in the (laughs) working with clients every day. Right. It'll be good to have both views. Well, no pressure on them to carry the show, but let's introduce these fine people to everybody. Coming to us from TIA, I'm my dad, shortwave chief financial planning strategist, Dan Keeney joins us. Hey, Dan. Hey, great to be here, Joe. Well, I'm glad you could join us. This is a, this is a lot of change, this Secure Act thing, huh? It absolutely is. And it really has been a long road, but I think we're really making some progress. I think so too. And I can't wait to dive into it. Let's also say a hello on my dad's shortwave coming to us probably from Boston, rounding out our panel from Fidelity Investments, Vice President for Wealth Planning. Amy Kwan joins us. Amy, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me today. Well, I bet you also have been busy kind of digging into all this new legislation. Oh, absolutely. Trying to keep up with everything and diving headfirst right in. Well, let's start with you then, Amy. What to you is most exciting about the SECURE Act? What really makes you think that for people planning retirement, what's going to make it easier for them? Well, I think the one great thing about the SECURE Act is that it's giving people many more opportunities to really save for retirement. You know, the SECURE Act opened the door for people to even start continuing and expanding their ways of contributing to their retirement savings. People today are working longer, they're retiring later. And so 
first, the repeal of the age limit on being able to make deductible contributions to an IRA gives us that ability to save for a longer period of time. And then expanding who can contribute to 401k and employer-sponsored plans. You know, now we're allowing long-time part-timers to be able to contribute as long as they satisfy certain employment requirements. And then even now, our younger generation, right, our grad students who may be receiving some stipends or non-tuition fellowships can now start contributing to IRA. So it's a great way for now for more people to be able to save for retirement and think about retirement. Dan, do you by and large agree with those as being the biggest, most helpful parts? Are there other parts that you really like? Well, I think the expansion and making it easier for people to save and and bringing in more people and helping small businesses put out plans, all of these things are very, very important. And I love the part-time one because so many people have part-time jobs. But the thing that strikes me the most, Joe, is two things. This begins to address the longevity. People are living longer. And secondly, few people really have defined benefit plans anymore compared to the past. So it really hits some core points. And and the first one being realizing people are living longer. Why start RMD at 70 and a half? Why not go to 72? And and I think that makes all the sense in the world because people are living longer. You know, we're sending out over 33,000 checks to individuals over the age of 90, over the age of 90. So it's a really big deal. The other part that I think is just so important is talking to so many people over the years. People get their statements, their 401k statements, in our case, 403b statements, but they get their statements and they look at it and they see a dollar amount. They see a dollar amount. Now, under these new rules, what's going to happen, it will take a while for DOL to get there, but they're going to see it expressed as an annuity stream. How much income could I receive? Because ultimately, you know, we're getting direct deposit, uh, many of us into pay our bills today, and in retirement, you need to do that also. And then finally, while technical, so I won't go too deep, they're trying to lessen the hurdles for uh, plans to include a lifetime income option through something called portability. So if your employer changes carriers, that uh, you wouldn't have to sell out of that annuity. And also a safe harbor that makes it easier for these companies to pick an annuity provider. In short, they're not necessarily trying to, to look out, you know, 50 years for, for payments, but are looking at, at companies using ascertainable standards. So I think those are, are big. And then one other that I think is, is just also huge is the auto escalation, where the idea being rather than being kind of capped at 10% in, in say, your 401k or 403b plan, uh, if you've signed up for auto escalation, you know, you're, you're pushing up to 15% or you could push up to 15% ultimately after the first year. So when you put these things together, it really is, in a way, a situation where they're trying to enhance uh, retirement for people. Can I comment on that real quickly? Yeah. I think there's a, it's definitely enhancing the way ways that people can save, which I think is awesome. And I think this provision that gives a safe harbor to 401k plans to offer annuities is very interesting. And I get it from a public policy standpoint, given the statistics of how many people access their 401k accounts when they leave early and basically spend the money and pay the penalties. So from a public policy standpoint, I see the logic of, well, if we can just create a faux pension via annuity from a 401k, it can save people from themselves. And I think there's some there's some 
value to that or attraction to that, my worry there is, and well, it'd be interesting to see how this plays out because it basically gives the 401k a safe harbor and puts the onus on the annuity company to offer good products and management. And there's a lot of things that can go wrong there given the history of those type of products. So it'll be interesting how that actually plays out because most people that can most use the annuity stream also need money for the most part. Hey, Roger, just jumping in, I think you make a good point in that they don't have to use the lowest cost provider, but they take a look at at several criteria to pick an annuity company. And I think it's important for everyone, all the listeners, to realize that just like mutual funds, some mutual funds are great and some really aren't so good. And the the same does hold with, with annuities. And typically, I argue that it's important to have a low-cost, simple annuity that's institutionally priced, that takes advantage of group buying in order to provide the the best benefits for individuals. Yeah, that's a great point. It's just going to be interesting how this plays out in implementation. I think the effort is noble to try to help people have secure income for sure. Amy, let's bring you into that. How do you feel about the lifetime income option? I think it's a great opportunity. And you know, everyone has been indicating it does address people's needs and and concerns about outliving their source of income. I think one thing that we do need to be aware of is that we also still need to do our own legwork with the safe harbor of just, you know, we know that the insurance companies that are providing these mutual funds, there are stronger financially companies and there are weaker companies. So we also want to make sure that we're doing our due diligence because we are putting our money into these accounts and, and these investments that we look at the financial stability of them. While low cost may be great, we still also want to make sure that they're financially stable. Amy, the longevity issues that people have, is that primarily what the lifetime income option is supposed to address, the fact that we have an increased risk of outliving our money? Absolutely. Absolutely. By having the lifetime income option and being able to have that income stream for our life expectancy and our lifetime, it takes the worry out of us in wondering if whether or not we're going to outlive that source. And Dan, the way that this works, can somebody choose like a lifetime income option for a part of their of their money and then the rest of it, leave it flexible? It's not an all or one deal? You know, you're bringing up an important point, Joe. As a CFP professional, I would never recommend somebody annuitize all their money because that's not the idea. The idea is to create a base, a floor that your income can never go below. And then with other investments that have more growth possibilities, keep that there for both the flexibility for unanticipated spending uh, expenses that come up for growth, for passing money on, you, you name it. So it should be part of the solution. I'd be hard-pressed to find a person where it should be the total solution. Leave it to our crack panel, by the way, to jump on what's easily the most controversial part of this that I've read, <laughs> that I've read more about than anything else. So G and I on the show, when this was even proposed, had what many people would call a big fight about this particular part. Let's talk about some of the other parts of the SECURE Act. Let's start off with this idea of the required minimum distribution going from 70 and a half up to, uh, what's the age, Amy? It's 72? It's, in, it's now 72, so it's pushing it back a couple of years, giving people that opportunity to not only save longer, but recognizing that people are working longer. Yeah, what does that do for us planning-wise then? Well, it gives us, from a, a planning perspective, it gives us that ability to not only take advantage of a couple more years of 
you know, tax deferred growth in these accounts, but also really thinking about where my needs are and where I'm going to be in the future and giving us more time to really think about where we are going to end up standing. Dan, do you see that this then helps people avoid taxes? Well, I think this is is really exciting because when you push it out to 72, you're in a situation where, as Amy says, you've elongated this kind of runway. And when we look at client financial plans, we often see those who uh, you know have money, because obviously if you don't have any money, you're probably spending retirement money long before 72. But for those people who have money, now it gives them more time for some great planning opportunities. In those low-tax years before RMD starts, for many people, they may be able to do, for example, a partial Roth conversion. Uh, To your point about taxes, some people, though, may need to actually spend some of their qualified assets early, push up their taxes to a bracket because they think they'll ultimately pay more if they wait too long. So it gives a great chance for all the financial planners out there, all the CFPs like myself to say, hey, go rerun your financial plan and take a look at it. Roger, I look at this legislation and I think of it in terms of common sense, right? What things should we be thinking about that maybe we don't think enough about? With the annuity provision, maybe we're not thinking enough about longevity. With this one, maybe, call me crazy, but maybe we don't spend enough time thinking about how we're going to successfully remove money from our IRAs to make more sense of our financial plan. I think that's where you're exactly right. It's when you're in retirement, which is what I focus on, is you really want to start to do multi-year tax planning. To Dan's point of this increase in the age of the required minimum distribution effectively give you two more years to potentially do Roth conversions. So as an example, when you retire from traditional work, it's your one time that you can control your realized income to some extent. And take the 12% tax bracket for a married couple. If you factor in the standard deduction, it's right around $100,000 that you can earn and still be in the 12% tax bracket. So if you have a gap between what your realized earnings are, say they're $50,000, the other $50,000 you could essentially take out of an IRA within that tax bracket of 12% and either use it or invest it or convert it to a Roth. And this just gives us more time to do multi-year planning that way. So I think it's the benefit for people that have that opportunity. Yeah, I think everybody thinks about putting money into their retirement plans. And we spend very little time thinking about taking money out tax efficiently, Mm -hmm. which can really make things better. Amy, you guys at Fidelity work a lot with retirement plans. So I want to go into the second one that you brought up. The SECURE Act also, you said, expands who can contribute to uh, retirement plans. Explain that to me. So the way that it now works is that it allows part-time employees who are working to now be able to contribute to employer-sponsored plans. In addition, are younger individuals who may not have a full-time job. Because remember, in order to contribute to either an IRA or a Roth, you have to have earned income. So full-time students who may be on receiving stipends or fellowships, you know, before weren't able to even think about contributing to these tax-deferred vehicles. And now they can because, you know, the monies that they're receiving can now be considered as earned income. I think with the gig economy, Amy, this is a pretty exciting provision for a hell of a lot of people. It absolutely is. And I think what the one nice thing about it is, especially in instilling this idea into the younger generation who often don't think about retirement planning, even though we all know that the younger you start, the more financially secure you're going to be at retirement age, it gives them that great opportunity. 
Well, that's what I was thinking as you were talking. I'm thinking I'm as lazy as the next guy. I'd rather have my money work for me than have me work. <laughs> I absolutely agree with you on that. <laughs> but if, if, if somebody, Amy's take a sticking with you for just a second longer, if somebody's going to take advantage sure. of these new rules as a part-time employee, what do you think the most basic thing is that they probably need to know about a retirement plan before they start investing? Well, I think a big thing is going to be, you know, what is your time horizon? You know, when do you plan on retiring and how much time you have on, on retiring? Because just because I'm putting money away, you know, your our investment strategies are going to be different for somebody who is 10 years from retirement versus somebody who's 20 years from retirement. So really thinking about what is your time horizon and how best to get there and talking to your advisors. It's funny, Dan, Amy brings up a great point. I think a lot of people take these risk um, risk assessment things when they go into a new retirement plan, but they don't think about what type of risk should I be taking based on when I'm going to need the money. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And one of the things we do is we look at a concept called human capital, which reminds people very simply that when you're young, really your asset is your future earnings right? Your paychecks for, for a long time. And that in general should allow you to take a more aggressive position in terms of growing your money for, for the long term. Uh, Roger, when you're working with somebody, they're right out of the gate and, and now they have the opportunity to take advantage of this versus let's say, uh, uh, I don't know, a Roth IRA. How are you going to point them now that it's different than it would have been before the SECURE Act? Well, I'm usually dealing with people, well, only dealing with people in the distribution phase or entering the distribution phase. <laughs> so the um, answer- I would probably refer them to Fidelity or TIA. Correct? So, you, so your answer is not my problem. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, not my monkey. Not my monkey. Uh, Amy or Dan, how about that question? I'll jump in. And I, I think one of the things that's important when you have people who are young is often they're, you know, at, at a lower tax bracket. And it could be a great time to put money in either a designated Roth 401k, 403b, or just a Roth to get started and build that. Because ultimately, when you get to where Roger was talking about, you, you want to have multiple sources of income to be able to control taxes. You know, that which was deferred, you know, is great. But to have some Roth that you can use for tax planning can be very uh, advantageous. There is a provision as a part of the SECURE Act that I wanted to ask all of you about because I've heard personalities like Ed Slot, a great IRA personality, talk about IRAs as retirement planning vehicles, that this is what I've called, I've heard called the IRA killer when it comes to IRA as a, as an estate planning vehicle, that no longer do we get some of the same protections that we used to have with IRA money when somebody passes away. Roger, can you dive into that a little bit for us? Yeah. So one big change with the SECURE Act is basically the destruction of the stretch IRA of the ability of the beneficiary to take out the money over their life expectancy. So if you have an 80-year-old who passes away and the beneficiary is a 30-year-old, they get to take it out over their life expectancy. Well, that's gone away. And that was a huge planning tool. So two of the big implications of that that I see is, one, the new rule is that a non-spouse beneficiary, and then there are some other qualifying, but generally a non-spouse individual, has to take out the money within 10 years. So if you think of a million dollar IRA and you have a 50 year old that inherited it, inherited that money in the, under the, before the secure act, it would be about 29,000. They would have to take out the first year. 
Well, now, assuming you did it in 10 increments, it would be about seven, uh, excuse me, about a hundred thousand dollars. That's a 70,000 difference in required minimum distribution to someone in their fifties, which is typically just entering their highest earnings years. So you can imagine what that does to their tax bracket. And this is partly how they're paying for the plan, I imagine. The other implication from a planning perspective is the provision says it has to come out within 10 years. It doesn't say every year. So you can take it all out on the 10th year and qualify, not have to take any for 10 years. So you do have some flexibility there. The issue with that is if in a planning perspective, and this is something that we're doing in our practice, if someone has named a pass-through trust as the beneficiary, a lot of times those trusts will have language that say only distribute the qualified required minimum distributions. Well, there isn't a qualified or there isn't a required minimum distribution in year one through nine. So potentially it could force them to take it all out at once at the 10th year. Mm. So that's a big one that I'm trying to dive into. Well, it is funny. You answer one of my questions, which, and I think it's dangerous to always ask why a government, any government does anything, <laughs> but I tend to agree with you. This is probably how they paid for the other provisions, the lengthening of the um, requirement of distribution, things like that, that are costing the government. Yeah, according to the dollars. Congressional Research Service, it should bring in about $15.7 billion mm-hmm. That one change. So I think that helps offset the extension. <laughs> how does how does this, Amy, change what we do with our beneficiaries? Does it change what we put down as our beneficiary designation? I know in the past, some people have said, you know, put your trust as a beneficiary versus put a person. Practically, do I do anything different with beneficiaries because of the stretch provisions being gone? I'm going to jump in on that one. I would actually say absolutely. Okay. Before the SECURE Act, the stretch provision took care of a lot of concerns that many of us had with just that one ability, right? You know, we don't want our kids to get too much too soon. We can spread our taxes over time. And then if we incorporate the use of a trust, now we have some creditor protection. But now we're actually having to think about what our goals are, what our concerns are, and really prioritize them because we could almost think of the stretch provision as being this one size fits all. And we don't have that anymore. So it's taking the time to really think about what we want to accomplish, because that's really going to drive who or what we designate as a beneficiary, whether we still have our kids individually and we're okay with them taking it out over 10 years, or we decide to incorporate the use of a trust and we just modify the way that the trust is actually drafted so that we don't have that requirement of distributing all the money out directly into the hands of the beneficiaries in that 10th year, where we can actually deplete the IRA and have it sit in the trust and use trust terms to be able to make those payments on a discretionary basis. So it does change the way of who we name and why. There's so many planning opportunities here, and I'm glad we hopefully were able to help a bunch of people do better planning. I'm going to ask you guys probably the most difficult question of all, which is, what should our biggest takeaway be if we're listening to this discussion? 
Dan, let's start with you. I'll put you on the hot seat first, big guy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, thank you. I I think the biggest thing for people to take away from this, I I mean, it's very complex. I've got a stack of papers on on my desk to very printed out uh, everything. But the core point is that people really need to focus on dealing with the longevity issue. And I think that's the big thing that they should take away from it. The other one they need to take away is, is what could help me? I mean, I don't know. It might be the birth uh, adoption situation where you're able to, to pull out 5,000 without penalty. Yeah, we didn't even touch on that. We didn't even touch tax. on that. Yeah. Right. You, you've got to go through a list, you know, hopefully with your planner and go through it because it goes on and on. And you're probably missing an opportunity if you don't reevaluate all these these situations. Of course, review your beneficiaries, as, as they just talked about, related to stretch. Amy, big takeaway? I would absolutely agree that your immediate takeaway is really taking a look at your who your beneficiary designations are. And if you've named a trust as a primary contingent beneficiary, you know, review the trust documents to see what those provisions are, because chances are you're going to need to change that. And I, I think the second thing is talking with your planner or understanding what your goals are and because there are so many options, recognizing that one size and one option isn't going to be the best for everybody and understanding what those options are and see which one would be most appropriate to you to achieve your goals and address your concerns. Roger? Uh, with me, it's always about managing change and being agile because all you know, we have some tools that were added to the toolbox and we've had some that were taken away. And so like, I'm going to concur with everybody, read the articles out there, listen to the show and take notes, and then Look at each one and say, is this a risk or is this an opportunity? And how important is it given my situation? Because it's all about change management. Because this isn't the last change or changes that we're going to see, for sure. I have heard, by the way, no truer words ever spoken by Roger Whitney. This might not be the last change that we see that we see happen. I heard a rumor. Very profound. Very profound. <laughs> Roger always brings it when he's on the Stacky Benjamin show. Uh, uh, I heard a rumor that there's a couple of uh, fantastic companies that might have some resources to help people with their retirement. Amy, is that true? Does Fidelity actually have some resources people can go to to help with their retirement? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, if they go to fidelity.com, we have a number of calculators that people can use. They have whether or not to do a Roth or traditional IRA calculators. We have payment calculators, retirement calculators. And in addition, that there's so many tools on fidelity.com that it can give you a head start. Dan, you guys have a reputation for working with some really smart people. I bet you guys also have some pretty smart tools for those smart people. Oh, sure. Look at TIAA.org.org. And a great starting place is the Never Run Out campaign because it helps you understand a little bit about what uh, lifetime annuity income could look like. And Roger, what's happening at the Retirement Answer Man podcast? And then we have little old Roger, <laughs> this little podcast, the retirement answer man. Well, this month in January, we're focusing on sequence of returns. And in February, we are tackling for the entire month long term care insurance. So we're always noodling on how to, you know, rock retirement. Boy, that's such a tough topic, too. No kidding. That's yeah. such a tough topic. Amy, Dan, Roger, thanks a ton for helping our stackers uh, get further ahead with this new legislation. I really appreciate you taking the time for us. My pleasure. My you pleasure. Bet. Good talking to you, Amy and Dan. 
Hey there, trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And in honor of Rid the World of Fad Diets and Gimmicks Day, I've developed a non-fad diet to solve all your problems. I'm calling it a basic, straightforward, non-fad name, calling it the Sizzler Diet. And after six months on this diet, you're going to be sculpted like a Greek god. I guarantee it. I've been on this diet myself for six days, eating nothing but Sizzler's finest steaks and their mashed potatoes and the, oh, the macaroni and cheese. Mm, it's, it's so tender. And not only am I poised for some huge weight loss wins, I'm sure, but I'm also feeling the way I do on any other diet. You know, absolutely hollow and wondering what the hell I'm even doing this for. It's brilliant. I'm thinking I'm selling this thing for at least 99 bucks a month uh, once I'm done, you know, testing it. So let's work out the details while you think about today's trivia. Legend has it that William the Conqueror, desperate to lose weight, created the first fad diet, which consisted of drinking nothing but this liquid. Was it A, tea, B, blood alcohol, three, alcohol, or uh, D, sheep's milk? We'll be right back with your trivia answer and the final price you'll pay to get your hands on my sizzling, sizzler diet deal. Just a minute. Well, I got to say, I've been super excited to see some of the positive comments in our basement Facebook group about the Motley Fool and the fact that we've been talking about them on the show here lately. If you've ever wondered how to invest, especially in individual stocks or struggled to understand how to make your money work for you, the Motley Fool is just what you need. Motley Fool provides advice and guidance that cuts through the noise of standard business sections of websites and gives you a simple, easy to use analysis to help you understand the market. And I think that for me is the key. The more you understand how this stuff works, the better it is. Motley Fool was created by two brothers, Tom and David Gardner. They founded it out of their garage in Alexandria, Virginia, both still with the company. Tom's the CEO, David's a lead stock analyst and a board member. Their flagship service for the Motley Fool is called the Stock Advisor, and it provides two stock recommendations every month with daily analysis and coverage designed to help you beat the market. Regardless of beating the market, I love the analysis behind these positions. The Motley Fools become well-known analysts, identifying leaders and trends before they become everyday aspects of life. They recommended Amazon back in 1997, Netflix in 2004, and Marvel, of course, which is now part of Walt Disney in 2004. So to kickstart your 2020, your Roaring Twenties financial goals, Motley Fools offering five, their favorite stock picks for free, to stackers everywhere, go to fool.com forward slash SB. That's fool.com forward slash SB. Howdy, trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. Oh, uh, yeah, stackers, I got to make this quick because an unintended side effect of my sizzler diet. And don't worry, folks, because I'm probably just feeling the fat melting away inside me. Uh, the, the side effect is that my heart has this like burning sensation. Seriously, it feels like it's on fire. But the great news is we all know that what it is. It, it's I'm losing weight like super fast while I'm talking. It generates heat, right? It's amazing. 
But enough about this horrible, crippling pain I've got. Let's get you to your trivia answer. The question was this. Legend has it that William the Conqueror, whoever that is, desperate to lose weight, created the first fad diet, which consisted of drinking nothing but uh, one, trivia, B, blood, um, three, it's a Roman numeral three, alcohol, or finally, sheep's milk. So rare multiple choice question for a Doug's trivia, but I'm sure you got it. The correct answer was C, alcohol. Yes. And while I'm sure Joe and OG will be all over that diet, you and I both know the truth based on this huge weight loss feeling that I'm having right now. Nothing compares to the Sizzler diet. Oh, uh, okay, time to focus on something else so I don't feel this fat burning off me so much. It's it's so intense. See ya. I'm not sure how one human being can uh, interpret things in such a creative huh. manner. Well, that's why we keep them around. Alcohol for the win, or maybe not. William the Conqueror, all alcohol all the time. So basically like Doug. <laughs> that's what we keep telling Doug he probably should do. No, please don't do that at home. Uh, big thanks to Roger Whitney and Dan Keedy and Amy Quain for joining us. Interesting discussion and not surprising, OG. They they went right at the annuity provision <laughs> immediately oh yeah just okay. like you yep. and i did weird not a not a shock weird yes and i agree with what dan said that uh, you gotta still do your homework man you still gotta do your homework but it does give us an opportunity that we didn't have before hey let's throw out the haven lifeline and tackle some of life's most important questions our friends at haven life insurance agency they put what you value first Ooh. um well, I valued very muchly this last week watching my kids play in the snow and just lose their minds. I can't get them to go outside when it's 75 and sunny, but we get a cold front that's 30 degrees and it's snowing sideways for 40 minutes and they're out in shorts and t-shirts and I keep telling you they just have to they just have to when you come up to record the shows, they just have to move up here for a week and you won't have to worry about taking those pictures ever again. It'll break them for <laughs> for another year and a half. Yeah, pretty much. Uh yes, it's actually your loved ones, your kids, like you said, and your time, time to spend taking pictures of them out in the snow. That's why they've made buying quality term life insurance super simple so you can focus on those more important things in life. The application simple gets rid of all those annoying <laughs> questions we see on uh, bigger, longer applications from legacy carriers. You get an instant coverage decision. Prices are affordable. Of course, they're issued by Mass Mutual, more than 160-year-old insurer. Today, we're going to throw out the lifeline to our new friend, Leo. Say hi, Leo. Hi, Joe and OG. I'm Leo, and I got a story problem for you gurus. My wife and I have 50% of our net worth in a high-yield savings account. Our net worth includes a savings account plus retirement accounts and a rental home that's 25% paid for. We currently rent an apartment, max our 401k and IRAs, and do not have any kids. In three years, we plan to move to San Francisco for family reasons, and we are saving as much as possible in case we want to put a down payment 
on a home that costs one to one point five million dollars. The other option may be to have to rent for $45,000 each month, but then we will have wasted three years of investing. Should we keep on saving or should we invest our current savings? Take some risk. Thanks. The housing market in San Francisco, just crazy. Four to $5,000 a month to rent a house, Yeah. to rent yeah. a tent in somebody's backyard. Seems like that might be overpriced, but holy cow. You know, I definitely have there. an opinion here. So three years until he may have to buy a house, half his money in a high yield savings account. Should he take it out and invest it? Well, I, <laughs> I would turn this on its head and move your family closer to you. That's <laughs> the way to do this, by the way. Um, remember, when you're trying to solve a problem, you don't have to go at it the only the one way. You want to be by family. One way to do that is to bring family to you uh, if you live in a lower cost area. But um, no, I think that you've got the time frame that suggests that that money should be in very conservative investments, whether that's cash or a really conservative fixed income, you know, short-term government or something. I think you make just as much money in your savings account as you would in a two-year treasury fund. I think I know what you're going to say about this, which is <laughs> come at this a different way. Don't do what you're thinking about doing. You know, it almost feels like you're like, well, God, I gotta go blow all this money to go buy a house and I don't really want to do it. So, you know, don't do it. Like think of a different solution. But if this is how it's going to be and you're buying a house and you've got an idea of how much it should be and how much your down payment is to, you know, needs to be so that you can afford the cash flow of the payment and the insurance and so on and so forth. And you've got the time frame. It's got to be in short term. Do not get sucked into the fear of missing out thing because you're looking back. What hap- what's happening right now? This is what's happening. He's looking at the last year's performance of the of the stock market and going, "Dang it, we should have had that money invested. And if we would have had that money invested, then we'd have twenty five percent more than we do right now." And da, 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 which is true, except for the fact that you're not looking at a long enough time horizon. Back up that time horizon to September 30th of 2018 and then run your calculations. And what you'd find is that you're even money, right? Because the stock market went down 20% in the fourth quarter of 2018. So don't get seduced by this is my recommendation. What do you say? Well, I think like you that we probably don't have enough information, even though he sounds like he has a strong net worth. I don't know about this in relation to his other goals. And, and because so, so, so my first reaction is, is kind of, kind of exactly what yours is, which is let's rethink the problem. And I also think if you take any money out, I mean, the face of the problem is this, do I put money in the stock market for a goal that might be three years away, strip everything else away? That's the question. OG, you and I have the same response. No, don't do it. And I also agree with you that looking at what the stock market did last year, which is seductive, don't do that either. Bad way to look at it. So look for the best opportunity for a three-year goal, which is going to be to keep it in a high-yield savings account, which is where it is. So there you go. Actually, CD rates have crept up a little bit too. And if you know it's for a three-year goal, this might be an opportunity again, OG, to finally get back into the CD game, something you and I haven't talked about in maybe four or five years. Yeah, I agree with that. Something conservative, something that has a specific time horizon on it, that's a perfect use for those tools. I've not seen that the margin between the CDs and the I, I think I think you're picking up about 
like four tenths of a percent or something by going, you know, to a year or two year CD, but maybe you can find, so this is a great uh, example of like a site like Magnify Money, who's been a sponsor of ours for a really long time. You know, you know, the time horizon, you know how much money you have, you know, you don't need it. Why not just find the CD rate that's, or the savings account rate that you can just dump this money in and at least get a little bit more. But what we don't know, back to my original answer, I think, and this is your and my natural tendency, is to broaden the question, which is, how does this play against other goals that you have? I don't know if you're saving enough, too much, or not enough for longer term or other goals. What are you competing against money-wise? I mean, I'll assume that because Leo called up about this one question, this is the prime goal. This is the number one thing. But if if Leo knew that he was behind on his retirement goal and at the same time was contemplating putting a big down payment on a $1.5 million house in San Francisco, how would that impact his feeling about putting a lot of money toward that house. Maybe he would then consider moving everybody to Kansas City instead. I don't know. Well, I think this is important to discuss because a lot of times when we look at problems, and this is any problem, it's not just the problem of, you know, the house buying thing and, you know, moving across country or whatever, but but we look at it from the lens that we're, you know, we're we're on the certain angle of the problem. You know, it's almost like those 3D puzzles. Remember 3D pictures? Remember they used to have, have those in the mall? And it wasn't until you actually got unfocused from the problem that you could actually see, you know, the dinosaur and the whatever, you know, whatever the image was. And you get really focused on the one specific pixel. You can't see the whole thing. And and this is kind of the same deal. You're saying, hey, I've got to solve for this problem. I've got this angle that I'm looking at it. But there's another 359 degrees of that angle also or of that problem that you can look at. So when you're faced with any financial situation and any financial decision, I think that you have to recognize that everything counts. Everything's on the table, including packing up your family and moving to San Francisco or packing up your family, and moving them from San Francisco or, you know, quitting your job or starting a new job or eating rice and beans like some people talk about. You know what I mean? Like all of that. And I think that's what, you know, to take that as an example, I think that's his point with that. Everything counts, you know, and he said, well, I can't get rid of cable. What would I do? If you're really attacking a problem of like overspending, everything counts. Yeah. And I don't want to, you know, discourage Leo from moving to San Francisco. If that is the goal, that is the goal. Then everything revolves around that goal. But what we didn't hear about was other goals and what the push and pull is. So if, if, if that is the number one goal, which it sounds like, because that's what he called in about, do not invest that money. <laughs> leave, it in, leave it in a spot like a high-yield savings account where he is now and make a responsible purchase on the down payment for a house. And by the way, what's interesting about the house OG, and we should just say this here, you know, people talk about investing in your primary property and you'll hear people with this truism. We talked on Monday about some of these baloney rules of thumb. One that I hear all the time is your primary property is not an investment. I totally agree with that. But something that I don't agree with is the implication then that you then can go ahead and just make an emotional decision. I think you still have to make a decision like you would on any other investment with your primary property. 
just realize there's going to be emotion attached to it when you go sell it, when you live in it, when you make improvements. You're doing it for quality of life reasons, not just for investment reasons. But when you're buying that property, you still have to treat it as if you would buying any other investment. Sure. Absolutely. Big thanks for the question, Leo. You got a question for OG and I head to stackybedjamins.com forward slash voicemail. That's going to do it for today. Man, a fun episode, something we usually don't do, focus most of the show on one topic, the Secure Act. But big thanks to everybody who helped us put this together for our friends, Ted at Fidelity, our friend uh, Ken, who works uh, at TIA. Those two behind the scenes guys really helped us get this done. I'm very happy, OG. Those were the two first companies I reached out to, and they both said that they would love to help us explain the rules. And I think that uh, Amy and Dan helped us hit a home run on this one. Thanks to everybody for hanging out with us, talking about it. Hit up OG and I on Twitter to talk about your feelings about the Secure Act. Love to hear what you think. OG is at not the fake OG, and I'm at Average Joe Money. And I'd love to continue this discussion about this new legislation, how it affects your planning. Lastly, if you're worried about your own individual planning on the SECURE Act or probably better on the bigger picture, OG and his team are taking clients. The doors are open here for a little bit. So head to stackybedjamins.com forward slash OG to see how you can interface with OG and his team for better financial planning in your corner. All right, that's going to do it for today, guys. Doug, you got it from here, man. What should we have learned on this epic episode of Stacky Benjamins. So uh, what should we have learned today? First, take some advice from a roundtable discussion uh, by knowing what you're getting into with new laws like the Secure Act. You can flex your plan to do more with your money. I just got to get through this. Oh, man, so much weight loss. Second, take some advice from our Haven Lifeline call, thinking about investing. Uh, yada, yada, yada. Uh, yeah, start with your time horizon and remember to use time to your ad- advantage. Oh, man. By investing early and often, the market will do the heavy lifting toward your goals so you don't have to. I could use some of that right now. Uh, uh, but the big takeaway, well, it turns out eating nothing but sizzler will give you something uh, allegedly called heartburn, which Joe's mom says does not have anything to do with weight loss and could probably be very detrimental to my overall health. Big thanks to our roundtable team of experts today, including Roger Whitney, the retirement answer man. Listen to Roger's podcast wherever you're listening to us right now. Big thanks, too, to Dan Cady from TIAA. You'll find tools to help you plan for retirement and other goals at TIAA.org. Thanks also to Amy Quain from Fidelity Investments. You'll find all of Fidelity's tools at Fidelity.com. This show is created by Joe Saul Seahide, produced by Taylor Stevens, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and it appears I've fallen and I can't get up. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remunerations. That's a big word. 
There's no way you take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. And before making any financial decisions, consult with a real financial advisor. Welcome to the after show, the part of the show that doesn't exist. We often talk about things that have nothing to do with financial planning. One thing that doesn't have anything to do with financial planning, OG, where you and I blow off a little bit of steam is with uh, video games. Oh, yeah. I got a couple that are in the queue. I will generally try to play a little golf. I've got a hockey league going, uh, NHL Hockey 19. I play the I play the mode where you're you play a single character. Okay. And then so I say are you going to do that or are you going to be the uh, general manager? I like that one. I think I would like that one. I've never played that mode, but I am the first line center of a minor league hockey team called the Saginaw Spirit. Go Saginaw. Never heard of them. Uh, come on. Saginaw is in a league with a bunch of teams mostly from Ontario. There's a few US teams. Erie has a team. But the Windsor Spitfires, Sarnia, lots of Canadian teams. Here's how bad I am at this game. My general manager every couple of weeks tells me how it looks like. It's because at the end of the season, I'm going to get drafted, right? And then I get to up my game to play in the NHL. Right. I've been told that it still looks like I'm a third-round draft pick. On a video game. On a video game. That's how bad That you can adjust the settings on. So you can make it like easier to score, harder to score on, <laughs> faster. You could be like 6'10", 265. I think I am. The fast, I think I am 6'10", 265. Max, max everything out. Everything's maxed. You're ni- and I, 99 I, and you're still third round. After. And I'm not very good. But, uh, okay. but we got this thing called uh, Game Pass which is like Netflix for video games. And that's because my son mm-hmm. works for Microsoft. So he's given to me for Christmas and uh, given a, a few of my relatives this as uh, presents over the holidays. So we decided to play this game called Sea of Thieves, where you're a pirate. And it's a really, it's a really cartoony pirate game. You set off on a pirate ship with a map. What I like about the game is that you have to work together. It's almost impossible to play it alone. Like this is a game I would never try to sit down and play by myself. When you steer, you can't you can't navigate at the same time. They they set it up strategically so that the the navigation table is far enough away that you can't steer and navigate. So one person has to steer, one navigate. If you've got a bigger ship by the way, they put the navigation table in a spot where it's it's more difficult. If you play with two players, you have a sloop. Play with three, you have a brigantine with two masts. Now a brigantine. Look at you dropping the fifteen hundreds words. I don't even know what it means. 
I just know how to read. read <laughs> reading for the win, it tells me we've a brigantine. And then if you've got four players, you sail with a galleon. And so you've got this huge, huge ship with four people. So I just want to shoot cannons. That's all I want to do. Can I well, be on your team? And all I get to do is shoot cannons. Well, that's a funny thing. I am 51 years old. And the thing about this game is that it's an open world. And so most of the time, you get this treasure map, which shows you the outline of an island. You find that island on the map. Takes me forever. I know now that it's usually close to the island that we're on. It's just the way the game's set up. And then you set sail with your team. We get pretty good at one person mans the mast. One person is up in the crow's nest. We, we try to. Yo, yes. ho, ho, at a bottle of rum. The whole, the whole time we play. But then what happens sometimes, we'll get loaded up with treasure. Everything's great. We're bringing it back. You got to bring it to an outpost to sell the treasure to get your money. By the way, guess what your money's good for? Pretty much nothing. Like you can't upgrade your weapons. You can just make your ship look cooler. Once again, 51 years old, don't really care if my ship looks cooler, but I still go after the treasure anyway. So from time to time though, there will be another ship on the horizon. And the bad news is, is that lots of the time the ship comes toward you and it's a ship generally, I am sure is full of 14 year olds. Um, and they, and they, in real life and in pretend life and they come and they shoot our ship and they sink us and they steal all of our crap or they board our ship and they sword fight us and they kill us and they take all our stuff. There have been times when I've gotten off my ship at the outpost, I'm carrying the treasure. I'm almost to the spot where I'm going to sell it. Some dude kills me, picks up my treasure chest and Just hands knifes it. you in the back. Yes. So you got to go on the offensive, dude. Let me be your cannon guy. We take no prisoners. You got to play everyone and everything. You got to play the stupid game with us. You have to. It is, it is really well set up. They've done a really good job of making the game, but here's the funny thing. So we're playing this game last night and there is this ship that's all decked out. Now I've played this game maybe four times. So I know that this decked out ship, when you've played it, when you have the sails that this ship has, and you have a ship that looks the way it does. Th these people played this game forever. Like, oh, they're going to kick our butt. They don't do it, though. We're fighting some skeletons on an island because, you know, that's what you do to get the treasure. Mm -hmm. Yep. They park their ship right next to ours. They don't fire at us. I get this message that says, hey, we're friendly. Guy comes over to our ship, actually helps us fight the skeletons, helps us take the treasure, loads it on our ship, doesn't try to have any. And then he says, let's change chat. And I'm like, I don't know how to change the chat. So we got to get, we got to get my cousin's kid to try to tell us how we could change the chat so we can include whoever this person is. What I'm hoping is it's somebody who's at least 30 years old. I'm hoping that I'm wrong, that this game isn't all 14 year olds. During this time, by the way, this pirate in the big ship says, let's form an alliance. I'm thinking... Ooh. Sounds official. Well, Alliance sounds great because he's got a big ass ship that's aimed right at mine. And he's gonna he's gonna Let's if form we, an alliance. Sure. Yes. Absolutely. I'm in. Set Alliance sounds great. As long as at the end of this I take this treasure, help me load, I get to, you know, just go do my thing and then stop playing this stupid game. And so my cousin's kid shows us how to change chat. And we change chat. And there's nine people on this channel and they're all playing the game. And the average age isn't 14. It's got to be 
and 11. And they're all screaming over each other. And, and it was, it was such hell. And I went from feeling like the biggest tool playing a pirate video game to the king of tools playing a pirate video game. I lasted yep. like six minutes. Then I just texted my cousin. I'm like, Hey, uh, uh, let's just turn this off. It's like, great. So in the, so you don't, you don't even have the, you don't even have the stones to like tell your new Alliance partner that you have to go. You just, you're just going to rage quit right in the middle of the game. What I wanted to say was once I found out their name, say the kid's name is Jeremy or Evan, I'd say, I'd say, Hey, uh, Evan, this is your dad. Uh, time to go to bed. More like grandpa. <laughs> Easy. Sitting right here. Well, stackers, the show is over, but the party is just beginning here. You know why? Because it's military appreciation month and we are giving out shout outs to all of our friends who have served in the military. And let's point uh, the finger right here at our good friend, OG, who spent time in the military. And of course, we know what a giver he is, even when he pretends like he's being uh, Mr. Surly. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members to help them reach their goals. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate, and you'll see all their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. They've got all kinds of resources on their site, like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. So much going on. Just head over to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate take a look at all the military appreciation month offers and their usual offers navy federal our members are the mission navy federal is insured by ncua equal housing lender